listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. Today, we finish our series, Follow the Leader. We've been looking at various biblical characters and the way in which their leadership styles could be contrasted with Jesus. Our first week, we looked at Pharaoh and the way in which Pharaoh's way of being in the world in the Old Testament is contrasted with the prophets, and then Jesus is identified with the prophets. The next week, we looked at Herod, King Herod the Great, who was the king of Israel when Jesus was born. Last week, Chris Green led us as we reflected on the contrast between Jesus and Pilate. And today, we're going to be looking at Caiaphas. He was the high priest during Jesus's adult ministry. Uh, He was the priest that kind of colluded with the Romans and negotiated the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, according to a lot of ways in which a priest's uh, ministry might be measured, Caiaphas was quite successful. He was the high priest. So from the time of Hanukkah, when the temple had been rededicated to God, until the time that the Romans would come and destroy the temple, we have about 160 years. But there were a lot of high priests during that time. Their typical tenure only lasted about three and a half years. But Caiaphas served as high priest for 18 years. And he had succeeded his father-in-law, Annas. So they kind of kept it all in the family. So Caiaphas was quite successful by a lot of measurements. However, Caiaphas kind of represents what I think is the most seductive of all of these leadership styles. Most of us will not find ourselves in these kind of super uh, senior positions of leadership, like a pharaoh or a Herod or a Pilate. We're not the governor of the state. We're probably not even the mayor of the city. Um, We certainly aren't the president of the country. Those kind of senior leadership roles uh, are, are so kind of far away from how we actually experience our lives that although I do think we mimic them more than we should, like we should be following Jesus and we follow these these leadership things that are more coercive and manipulative. They use power to control as opposed to the way of Jesus that is in no way coercive and in no way manipulative. Jesus's power is the power of love and sacrifice. Jesus doesn't destroy, right? Jesus creates. And that is so different. Jesus's kingdom is so radically different than the way in which we structure our lives that it's, it's almost unrecognizable, which is why I believe so many people that were following him had a hard time kind of reconciling their expectations about what a Messiah should be and who Jesus actually was. And I might say, continues to be who Jesus actually is. So as we look at Caiaphas, it's a really tragic story. And again, he represents, I think, a very seductive power. Religion likes to kind of exert itself And those who are religious and particularly religious leaders 
like to kind of come alongside the powers of the world and kind of use them for their own benefit to kind of shape the culture in such a way that is more godly, that is, that is more pious. So Caiaphas, as he's kind of, kind of controlling the temple and, and the temple is, is both a religious center and also a civic center, and he's, he's doing those things that are kind of maintaining the status quo. But the status quo is kind of serving a certain system that is not uh, inclusive of everyone. The status quo kind of is wrought with its own problems. And maintaining it is really not the way of Jesus. Jesus is offering us a fresh way, a new way of being in the world. Caiaphas is known as saying some really ironic and tragic things. Caiaphas says at one point during the, uh, during, excuse me, the trial of Jesus, he says, it's better for one person to die than for all of us to kind of suffer and die. Now, what he's thinking at the time is he's seeing Jesus who some people are saying is the Messiah, is the Son of God. And that's really kind of uh, threatening him and, and making him angry. Uh, Caiaphas sees the Romans and he knows their power. And he realizes that if Jesus is allowed to, re- to lead kind of a, a revolt, a rebellion against Rome, that Rome is going to come and crush him. So in Caiaphas's mindset, it's better for Jesus to die as opposed to him be identified as the Messiah, lead a rebellion, and they all die. Which, of course, we know that Jesus's death is the very means through which all of us have access to life. Jesus himself is raised from the dead, and that is God's kind of eternal yes, right? No matter how bad things can get, even the very crucifixion of Jesus, God can take that and work something good, something great out of it. At one point, shortly after the the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court has kind of tried Jesus, Caiaphas kind of uh, gets the ear of Pilate for a minute as, as the negotiations are going on to what to do with this man this man, Jesus. And Caiaphas says this, he says it to Pilate. He says, we, the Jewish people, we have no king but Caesar. Imagine that. The the high priest of God's temple saying, we have no king but Caesar. It's that kind of of collusion with, with the worldly systems with the powers that be. And I think this is, this is the challenge. Like when we say Jesus is Lord, it does imply that Caesar is not, at least when the early church said that. When they said Jesus is Lord, it implied that Caesar was not. To say that Jesus is the king is a threat to, to the Roman kind of rule of the land, but it's not the threat they think it is. Because when we say that Jesus is Lord. It doesn't mean that the rulers of this world, the presidents, the prime ministers, the the emperors, the dictators, that Jesus is like 
then. Like he's going to be the ruler. He's just stronger. He's just more powerful. It's not the king or the emperor, Caesar, who's on the throne. It's Jesus who's on the throne. And he's bigger and he's badder, right? He's more powerful. Jesus is an altogether different kind of leader. So Caiaphas was one way of being in the world, but Jesus certainly didn't follow that. But there were, there were plenty of critiques of Caiaphas in the high priest system. It wasn't like all of the Jews were kind of enamored with Caiaphas. Particularly, there was one group of Jews who had kind of left the temple system. They, they thought that it was so corrupt that they couldn't continue to worship there. And they had moved out into the desert, and they were living there by the Dead Sea. We found one such community, archaeologists did, and it's called Qumran. And there we had uh, for uh, more than 100 years kind of a committed community who were reading the scriptures and really committed to uh, personal purity and communal holiness, ritual kind of following of, of the law, of the Torah. Um, sometimes this community is associated with a group known as the Essenes. The Essenes seem to be one kind of extreme position. If Caiaphas is one extreme, kind of the, the religious leadership kind of colluding with the powers of the world. The Essenes are the other extreme. They are so detached from the world that they're just kind of maintaining their community until the deliverer comes. And I believe both of those extremes to be dysfunctional. A mentor of mine would say all extremes are dysfunctional. One of the Greek virtues is moderation. Christians have sometimes called it temperance. Um, our friend, Paul Harlan, one of the elders here at the church, I've heard him say often that he believes in moderation in all things, and that includes moderation. Like we can't be extreme with our moderation. There are some things that we are so kind of wholeheartedly committed to and those things are probably few and far between, but it's that that I really want to focus on. I want us, as we close this series on Follow the Leader, not to focus on Pharaoh or Herod or Pilate or Caiaphas, and not on those who would resist them, like the Essenes might have resisted Caiaphas or the, the Pharisees might have resisted Herod and the Herodians. But what is the way of Jesus? What, what are those things that uh, we can be kind of wholeheartedly committed to. There's two things I'd like us to do. I'd like to look at a gospel passage, and then I'd also like to uh, look at a passage from Romans. So first, this gospel passage. Let's, let's take a listen. This is the gospel of Matthew. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but, I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. And, as he could not pay, his lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. 
So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their lord all that had taken place. Then his lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger his lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I really love Peter. He is so eager to kind of get things right. So he's been learning, I think, right? He's been learning from Jesus that Jesus' way is not one of coercion or manipulation. It's not the power that controls. Jesus kind of forgives. And so Peter kind of offers this hypothetical, if I get hurt, right, I should forgive seven times. Isn't that right? And Jesus is like, well, not, not just seven times, but in, if you get hurt in a day, you should forgive 70 times seven. See, in the ancient Near East, this conversation between uh, Jesus and Peter is playing off an old, old, old tradition. So there was this idea that one way that you could uh, prevent violence is the threat of more violence. So if someone killed one of your sheep, you might go and kill seven of theirs, and that might prevent them. That threat might prevent them from doing so. And so there wasn't a form of retribution where the crime would match the punishment. There was this kind of extreme action. But there's one particular fellow in Genesis. His name is Lamech. He kind of says, look, I am very strong. And my leadership style is the harshest. So if you come and take one of mine, I'm not going to take seven of yours. I'm going to take 70 of yours. So it's that kind of extreme violence, unlimited violence that we see in the ancient Near East. So when years later, when Moses comes along and the law is given and it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that sort of thing. That's not, that's not saying that's a, a minimum punishment that you have to do. Like if someone takes an eye, the, the, at least you have to at least take their eye, maybe more, but you have to at least do that much. It's a maximum. It's saying that you can't have unlimited violence. It's limiting the violence. It's saying the most you can take for a tooth is a tooth. You don't have to, but that's the most you can take. The most you can take for an eye is an eye. So we move from this kind of unlimited violence to kind of limited violence. And then if you continue to read in the Torah, we get to this position of kind of limited love. Moses will say, love your neighbor. And in that context, your neighbor is your fellow Hebrew. But then <clears throat> the arc of this movement kind of culminates in Jesus 
Well, Jesus will say, you have heard it said, love your neighbor. But I say to you, love your enemy. So we can see this movement from unlimited violence with Lamech. I'm just not going to kill. You kill one of mine. I'm not just killing one. Or excuse me, I'm not just killing seven. I'm killing 70. Then we get to this kind of limited violence, an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, to limited love, love your neighbor, to unlimited love, which is love your enemy. And so when Peter says, should I forgive seven times, he is, in a, in a certain way, getting things very, very close to the right answer. He's realizing that uh, that forgiveness, that Jesus's way is the inverse of violence, right? Jesus's way of being in the world is the opposite of the way in which their culture would work. But Jesus is saying it's more than that. Like, we're not just going to love and forgive in kind of a, a limited way, matching Moses. We are going to love and forgive in an unlimited way, kind of matching in an inverse way, Lamech, which is exactly then how this story uh, goes, the, the parable that follows in Matthew. The, the servant who owned 10,000 talents, I mean, that is just a, uh, an enormous amount of money. That's more than any of them could have uh, earned in like a hundred lifetimes. It was just a debt that was way, way beyond the possibility of somebody paying back. And that servant is forgiven. And then in return, someone else kind of owns a hundred talents, which is still a lot, but it's so, so much less than the 10,000 that the first fellow owed. And then he tries to exact that from someone else. And this is, this is the way of Jesus. Jesus is teaching us that, look, our father is the one who can forgive all the debts, like all that you owe, all of your transgressions, so that we need to become like that. We need to become forgivers. We need to become people of mercy. Like our way of being in the world will not be coercive. It will not be manipulative. It will not use power to control. It will be a way of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Sometimes I hear people say, well, yes, God is holy, but God is also just. And they'll, they'll want somehow our systems to, to exact justice. But the important point to note, my friends, is that God's justice is, ne is never merely retributive. It's not just punishment that is paying back the punish so that a punishment matches a crime. God's justice is restorative. It restores. That's, that's what makes God God. That's what makes this good news such good news. You know, sometimes I, I hear the phrase, you know, love the sinner but hate the sin. And I get, I get the sentiment behind it. And, and in some ways, I, I, I don't want to discourage it. But in other ways, I do. Because I think it kind of puts, us, puts ourselves, when we say that, in a seat of judgment. And we're not the judge. Like, we don't have the capacity to do that well. In the end, Jesus, right? Jesus comes back to judge the world. That's Jesus' role. 
our role is to be a witness. So maybe we could say, you know, love the sinner, but hate my own sin, (laughs) right? I don't need much hate in my life. And if I just dislike the sin that I, I do, that's, that's enough hate in my own life, just to hate kind of my own sin. And, and, I'll, and I'll, leave, I'll leave the rest to God, right? I will be a forgiver. I will follow Jesus into this kind of unlimited love. It is a way in which we can be in the world and follow, I believe, our leader. I want us to, to move now to a passage in Romans. It's very practical about how we live with one another. Let's take a listen to this. Romans 14, 1-12 Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. Also those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord since they give thanks to God, while those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each of us will be accountable to God. You see, I think think the Apostle Paul is kind of bringing this to a really kind of practical point. Again, our role is not the role of judge. Other people will find their way, right? How to kind of, for them, kind of work out their own salvation in fear and trembling, as another author of Scripture says. A a way of, of, of being in the world that might not be exactly the way we would choose. So some are vegetarian, some eat meat. Some don't have the kind of scruples of the meat sacrificed to idols. Others do. And we could probably find all sorts of things in our own context where we might not agree exactly with others. But that's not the point. The point is that Jesus died for all of us. And that the fact that Jesus has died and has been raised again means that he is the Lord of the dead and of the living. And This is the way that we should be together. Paul was writing with a lot of kind of ethnic um, tension, right? A lot of kind of cultural differences. And certainly we can identify with that, that 
that there's there's not a lot of equality and there's not a lot of of justice that we see. And certainly, I believe that we should be a people of justice and we should speak for it. But especially maybe in a political year, we we need to find ways of kind of being in this world where we don't try and sit uh, in judgment over our kind of fellow Christians. That there is a way that we can disagree on various issues, religious issues, social issues, political issues. But that doesn't mean that we can't have community. And that doesn't mean that, that we can't have kind of love and mercy and, and forgiveness with one another. Because I think that's what it means to follow the leader. Like our leader is Jesus. And it doesn't mean that we can be Jesus. Um, but we are, in some ways, the body of Christ, right? And as the body of Christ, we are to kind of live that life, kind of as his disciples. And I believe this is just that way. And I think the, the passage from Matthew about forgiveness, and I think this passage from Romans about how we kind of live with one another without judging one another, is a good way, a good start, kind of down that path of following the leader, Jesus Christ. So now I want us to come here in just a minute, but I, I want to end here. Um, Thomas, one of Jesus's disciples, is known mostly, right, for being the doubter. But I think that's a, it's a bit of a misnomer. We all have our doubts, right? We don't want to be too harsh as we judge Thomas. We all have our doubts, and we all have times of faith. And there are times in the Gospels where Thomas really speaks up and says, hey, if Jesus is going to Jerusalem and they're going to kill him, then we should go with him. Like, it's better to die with our leader than to, to, live, to live alone. And that's, that's a pretty big statement of faith. And maybe, maybe even more so, Thomas offers this very short prayer. It's when he sees the resurrected Jesus. Thomas falls down and he proclaims, my Lord and my God. Now, that's a prayer that I think we could adopt. Um, certainly today and this week. But really, we could come back to it again and again. It's a very short prayer. But it says that by saying, my Lord, um, I've often heard people say that too many people want Jesus as a Savior, but not as a Lord. It's kind of a popular preacher thing to say. But there's, some point, there's a good point to be made there. Uh, we want to be rescued, but we don't want any kind of obligation. We want to be forgiven, but we don't want to have to forgive. We want to be shown mercy, but we don't want to have to be merciful people, kind of like the the one servant in the parable from Matthew. But to say of Jesus, my Lord and my God, is to say something about our obedience, our commitment to Jesus as our Lord, and it's to say something about uh, our worship, that, that Jesus is our God. So we might have other lords in our lives. Um, children have their parents, students have their teachers, 
teachers have their principles, you know, and on and on and on. But we only have one God. And our commitment to Jesus in this prayer of Thomas, my Lord and my God, I think is a great way for us to kind of wrap up, wrap up this series on Follow the Leader. So that's my prayer today. My prayer is that I would be able to say of Jesus, my Lord and my God. And my hope for all of us is that you too might join me and, and the, Thomas in that prayer and pray, my Lord and my God. Thomas becomes a good example, I think, of what it means to follow the leader and not kind of go into those extremes of a Caiaphas or the Essenes, the religious compromisers or the kind of religious extremist. Um, so that's our hope today. I love you all. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.